Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Hello. Guys, I have some really big news. This is like the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. You guys, <laughs> I, I took off our glasses. You guys already know, and if you follow me on Insta, you follow. If you follow us on Instagram, you know too. But wow, what a telling slip of the tongue! If you follow me on Instagram, I think it's all about Bailey. It's hard to write the Instagram. I don't know if you feel this way about the Twitter, Toby. Where like it's weird to write like we or Bailey when it's clearly just me. I just say I. You just say I. Yeah, I follow a lot of red wall centric accounts. It's clearly me. <laughs> well, maybe I should just lean into it and just say me, Bailey. Anyway, everything me, Bailey. <laughs> For my guerrilla marketing campaign in New York City, I only go by the name Thunderbutt. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. We've, we've heard tell of Thunderbutt. All right. So this is the crazy thing that happened. On the last episode, episode 20, I talked about my obsession with a certain puzzle. Mm. Donuts by mm, Gallison. Mm, mm, mm. I talked about how I obsessively checked six different targets. I also had Andrew check a target. Where were you? San Antonio. I sent out an email to my friends across the country and asked them to check their local targets. No dice. So I just decided to go to the source. And I Instagram messaged Gallison, the people who make the puzzle. And I said, hey. (laughs) I said, hey, I really want to find this puzzle. Where can I buy it? And she's like, oh, that's sold out. It was an exclusive for Target. And I'm like, oh, no. And then she's like, but I think I have one around the office. (gasps) Send me your address and I'll just send it to you. So I sent my address and they sent me this puzzle and it was one of those things where i was like tracking the delivery of it she (laughs) sent me the tracking and it didn't go out for delivery they were like something wrong with the address you have to pick it up so dylan and i went to you know one of those post office sketchy places at like nine o'clock at night to pick it up sketchy places this is a u.s post office it was sketchy dylan it was very sketchy there was a guy there who was like listening was to music employee. without headphones and <laughs> the sketchiest activity. <laughs> anyway, we get the puzzle, we take it home. I assemble it. It only took me two hours to assemble. Very easy. <laughs> and if you are interested, you can watch the assembly video on Instagram. Hmm. What's our Instagram? The to read list podcast. Yeah. Good plug. <laughs> but okay. So like, I yeah, think you guys I'm, should. I'm very excited for you. I, this is quite the mission. I'm very excited. It all came together for you. I think that is probably the most wholesome reason anyone has ever tracked a package through the U.S. Postal System. Yeah. Andrew, you have nothing to say about this? <laughs> I'm I'm just in awe of you, Bailey, in a good way and a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you have something exciting to talk about, too, which also has to do with Instagram. Your trip with Jillian oh, to yeah. Austin land in England, and we posted about it on Instagram, and people <laughs> love the pictures. So tell us all about it. So I should first start by saying we didn't go to Austin land like the movie. And the Mm -hmm. point of our trip wasn't solely to visit these locations. While that's a great idea for a vacation, and I recommend anyone does it, it wasn't the only reason we went across the ocean. Can Um, I jump in here real quick as a person who does not know what you mean when you say Austin land? That's your own fault, and I won't be the one to correct you. You'll have to do your own research. (laughs) Okay, okay. Just Um, kidding. It's a movie from the mid-aughts uh starring carrie russell and jennifer coolidge uh about someone who goes to a jane austen themed retreat 
like a, a, mm. a, a resort where they pretend like run you through a romance part of what we were doing during the trip was traveling from london up to liverpool the way you do that is traveling from the south east to the northwest and in the middle of england there's an area called the peak district which is full of these well beautiful landscape first and foremost in the Kira knightley pride and prejudice where she's standing on the edge of the rocks we, we climbed up there and got pictures there so there's beautiful landscapes and there's also just all these like manor houses and manor houses is even sort of understating it gigantic freaking mansions is probably more accurate <laughs> I went there with uh, with my wife and her friends. That's cool. We've been in the same places, Andrew. Where did you go? Standage Edge? I don't remember. Chatsworth? Is that a place? Yeah, that's one. Yeah. 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 Right. I guess you passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> and we visited a few manor houses. Uh, my favorite, mostly because we got to spend the most time there, was Lime Park. We couldn't actually go inside the house, but we could walk the grounds. And it's the location of Pemberley in the miniseries with Jennifer Eel and Colin Firth, uh, including the famous lake of the hubba, wet hubba. shirt incident. Yow. <laughs> Yowza. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was it was a, it was a blast. I recommend if you find yourself in England uh, seeking out a way to get to any of these places. We rented a car and drove, which I know isn't for everybody, but uh, it is was very convenient. Um, I'm sure there's a way to do it by bus, though. Can you tell us a little bit about the statue? Oh yes, in the gift shop of chatsworth house which just anyone who is wondering why in that statue hall did i not see the bust of matthew mcfadden as mr darcy the answer is because it's in the gift shop with a little sign that says matthew mcfadden as mr darcy and blah 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 please don't kiss (laughs) (laughs) we're were people kissing the statue? I mean, that's the been. only explanation. That's amazing. They either had... either they had to have been, or that's the best idea anybody in a gift shop ever came up with. Just well, it's like not put... like it's for sale, right? Or is it for sale? It is not for sale. Okay. If you want to kiss this statue, you're going to have to buy it. <laughs> I just imagine, like how long it took for them to make that sign. Like, okay, all right, I guess that was just a rogue person. All right. kiss number two, you start (laughs) to consider a sign, I think. It's extra surprising at that place because that place is still a house that is lived in by a family and there's like sections (laughs) of it you can see. So like, it's not like you were walking through this like Pride and Prejudice experience where you could touch all the things and like pose where, where the things were taken. It's like a museum slash somebody's house and that people are at the end of it are like, oh, well this thing I'm definitely allowed to kiss <laughs> or maybe it's one of the members of the family that lives there and they're like Fred Fred this is about you okay we're gonna let everybody else think it's about them but you know what you're doing all right well if you if you want to check out the pictures you should go to our Instagram at the two realist podcast really great pictures looks like an awesome trip that I'm jealous of hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about shame I want to talk a little bit about being ashamed <laughs> of myself did anybody have any shame no, wait, no, no, no. Andrew, do you have any shame? Um, I bought in Liverpool a copy of the Anfield Songbook, which is a <laughs> list of the songs that are traditionally sung at Liverpool football games. But I don't think I'm going to add that to the to read list. Yeah, that wouldn't mm. take that long to read. All right, I I have a little bit of shame. Okay, so, are we talking so, like ten or twenty? Mm, yeah. Well, this is this is little, and this is what I would qualify as karmic shame. So let me explain. I love how every instance of shame Bailey has had since, like, the second episode has been qualified in some capacity. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. Well, you might remember a few episodes ago, we were talking about how I put out two books on our mailbox, and they were, like, gross and old, and nobody was taking them. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
So I was feeling guilty about it, so I picked them up and walked them to the closest little free library, which is about a mile away. Okay. Yeah. And as I opened the little free library to put them in, oh, no. there's a book there, a brand new book oh. that I wanted to read. Oh, Bailey. So I had to take it. So I got The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, which mm. was a pretty popular book. I also picked up a copy of <laughs> of Let the Great World Spin, which was what? there, brand new. Why? Because <laughs> Andrew liked it. Yeah, but, you are, but you're I supposed to be it. getting rid of your... I know, but you're supposed to be getting rid of your... But wait for this one. And also, Andrew liked it, but he didn't love it, love it. It's not like it's so good that you'd have to have to grab a copy of it. It was free, though. She doesn't listen to other people's reviews on this podcast. That's true. Yeah, I, her, her face goes blank whenever I... You know, Andrew, you can't see this, but whenever you're reviewing something, she starts doodling on a paper. It's pretty rough. <laughs> okay. All that said, though, I need to give myself some credit. The other... <laughs> Last weekend, there was a sale at Barnes & Noble on puzzles. Okay. Are, are you guys with me? I am familiar with the concept of a sale on okay. puzzles. Okay. So I went to three Barnes & Nobles to check out all the puzzles because I couldn't no. just go to one. Because once I knew that they were available and like buy one, get one half off, I had to know if the other Barnes & Noble had better puzzles. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. So first Barnes & Noble, I bought two puzzles. No big deal. Whatever. <laughs> Second Barnes & Noble, I go, I look through all the puzzles. You know, they're not that great. And then I'm thinking, well, I should probably buy something, though, so that I can get my parking validated. No. And I pick up a copy of this book called Frankly in Love, which has been all over Instagram. It's a beautiful cover, like dark blue pages. Very pretty. It's the love story about Benjamin Franklin. Who knows? Who even knows? What, you don't even know the plot of it? No. <laughs> I, I assume it's a love story. So I, I, No, but guys, but wait for, wait for this. So I pick it up. I get in the line to pay. I look at the book and I say, you know what? No. And I put it down and I walked out the store. And uh-huh. it had only been like 30 minutes, so the parking was free. Very well done. So, guys, acknowledge. Well, I, I am proud of you. That is uh, coming that close to making that purchase and then turning away. It's impressive. It's, it's, it's progress, I think. Good job, me. Progress. All right. Well, this week on the podcast, Andrew had a book to read off his shelf. Andrew, what book did you read? I read Death with Interruptions by Jose Saramago. I was going to interrupt you with the word death, and then I thought that'd be rude. mistimed it quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our first repeat author. We had Blindness by Jose Saramago before. So tell us about it, Andrew. Did you like it? What's it about? So here's my blurb to sort of ease into this review. Death with Interruptions by Jose Saramago, our new best friend. In an unnamed country, no one can die. It happens suddenly, without warning. What follows is Saramago's examination of what would happen to a society, to humanity, should this happen. Following priests, kings, and finally death herself, death with interruptions is a meditation on the most immortal of inevitabilities, fear, love, and mortality itself. Ooh, he seems like he loves these like well what if yeah that was sort of going to be my lead in because as i just said like the whole conceit of this book is it's a new year party time in the streets the new year comes in (laughs) and then no one can die anymore at the turning of the year people who were like seconds away from death at the turn of the year are just still alive they're not getting better they're not like all of a sudden rejuvenated they're just like not dead but in the same state are they aging they're aging, they're continuing to deteriorate, okay. but they're just not dead. Ooh, okay. sounds kind of grim. Yeah, and then, like, if you like got your head cut off by a plowshare, 
you wouldn't be dead. But Common you would cause of death. have your head <laughs> cut off and you would like not be in good shape. You can be Wait, like re- whoa, okay. beaten to death, but just not dead. Like it, you don't gradually recover from it in this conceit. Is it unending? Like if I if you have your head cut off, it, are those people like in crazy amounts of agony? So I use that as an example, but it doesn't happen in the book. So I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I don't think you're like feeling your injuries constantly, but it's not like, oh, good. This is a, a breath of fresh air. And now with a few months of recovery time, I can recover from being beaten to death. It, like it mm-hmm. just doesn't work that way. So that's the conceit, and it sort of just spirals from there. And the book really is, as I said, an examination. Like, he sort of takes it line item by line item of, like, elements of society. He's like, this is the implication in religion. This is the implication economically. This is the implication blah, da, 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 da. Politically is a big one. He focuses a lot on the prime minister of the country. Until finally, he's like, well, now death is just going to say what's going on. And Death writes a letter to the, like, chief of television to read a message from herself on the news. And then you pretty much just follow her. Oh. It's hard to describe because it really is more about the experience of reading it and going through it than actual, actually, like, the plot and, like, Mm -hmm. the facts of what happened. Um, And here's some things I really liked about it. Um, It has an absolutely fascinating writing style. It is pretty much just run on sentences. I don't know if blindness was like this, too, but, like, there are very few paragraph breaks Everything is broken up just by commas. And when it's like two people speaking, if it stays lowercase and there's not a a capital letter, it's the same person talking. But if there's a capital letter, it means it switches who's talking. And that's the only way you can tell. He doesn't like stop and say like, the prime minister said this. Uh It's like, hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. But it's written just as like a run on sentence. Uh, I like that a lot. And he even like sort of drops in later that that writing style is sort of how death writes when he when she writes to people mm-hmm. and people think that she's being really dumb and he's like well you know it's a way you can write <laughs> <laughs> what if death wrote like how i like to write <laughs> so um it's also shockingly funny so we'll post a picture of my cover on instagram but it is maybe the most seeming like just a meditation on death by a dying man book cover you've ever seen it's all black with like purple writing and one death's hand moth on it like very dark so when i picked it up like i had no idea like what on earth this book was going to be and i certainly didn't think it was going to be funny because for large stretches of the book i think it is quite funny so i'm going to read a quote on page 118 which is i think pretty funny and if it's not funny i guess i don't have a good sense of humor and i'll just cry (laughs) all right on page 161 of my copy it's the first time we hear what death looks like being described there's a widely held belief That since death, as some like to say, is one side of a coin of which God is the reverse, she must, like him, by her very nature, be invisible. Well, it isn't quite like that. We are reliable witnesses to the fact that death is a skeleton wrapped in a sheet, that she lives in a chilly room accompanied by a rusty old scythe that never replies to questions, and is surrounded only by cobwebs and a few dozen filing cabinets with large drawers stuffed with index cards. One can understand, therefore, why death wouldn't want to appear before people in that get-up. Firstly, for reasons of personal pride. Secondly, so that poor passers-by wouldn't die of fright when, on turning a corner, they came face to face with those large, empty eye sockets. He's a great writer. Yeah, he is. I I think it's funny that he portrays death as, like, the very cliche, like, Halloween costume version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he goes out of his way. Like, she has a scythe, which she doesn't use, but she talks to. 
And like all the time you think that she's just kind of lonely and talking to the scythe. And then at one point the scythe just sort of starts talking to her. And the even death is like, wait, you're not, I didn't talk to you. I didn't yeah. think you could. Act. Okay. You have no mouth. Like, how are you talking? So yeah, all of this sort of leads to the second half of the book, half or so of the book where you start to follow death and not to really spoil anything, but it becomes sort of a love story or at least sort of a story about human emotion more than it becomes sort of like a treatise on the implications of death, uh, which is like a really fascinating turn. And he takes it at a really good pace in terms of he like starts to introduce things slowly. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this book is different. Oh, different things are happening now. Oh, huh. Is this a love story now? So I thought that was really well handled. Also, this book clips along. It's only 234 pages, but I read it probably faster than like any book I've ever read. Um, nice. Yeah. Are you speeding up with every book? Because I think you said that about Bossy Pants too. You're like, I did. I mean, Bossy Pants has like remarkably small print as well. But like, I think something around how this is written with just like commas as yeah. run on sentences and like mm-hmm. parts of it are in the second person. It just sort of flew along. And I... Sometimes when I read like that, I feel like I'm missing things. But this time I didn't. I was like, no, he clearly wants you to just kind of skate through this. Yeah. So all of this is to say I really enjoyed this book. Um, The only small orc I had about it is that the first half of it. So as I said, it sort of it starts as this like list of implications and then pivots into being like a more emotional story. I think the book moves along a lot better when it's rooted in story and rooted in like specific events, even within those lists when he like takes time to think about like interactions between people or tell little stories about people. It moves along a lot faster. The like first section that's just like about the economic, political, religious implications did drag a little bit. Um, But that's really my only orc about it. Nice. So how many stars and are you going to keep it on your shelf? I'm going to give it four stars. Ooh. Yeah, it was very close to a five. I do think I maybe understated in my review how much the first part dragged. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, once you get past that, it really it really did fly along. Um, and I'm going to keep it on my shelf. I could definitely see rereading this, especially when I don't have a deadline on it. And I could like maybe mm-hmm. take my time a little bit more with it. So, yeah, it's definitely staying on the shelf. It also has a bookmark from Bailey's Wedding in it. Ooh. Because it was the book I picked up from Bailey's book exchange at Bailey's wedding. Dylan was also there. (laughs) Bailey's wedding. Uh, Yeah, at our our wedding, we had a take a book, leave a book, little free library situation. And I'm really excited because, you know, when you are getting married, you have very little time to like see what people are doing and if they're interacting. And it's good to know that people actually left and took books. I wonder who left that. If, If you were the person at our wedding that left that book. Send us an email. Let me know, because I'd love to know. Was it you, Toby? I know Louise's read it, so it <laughs> might have been. A, I was trying to remember, because I know we got books, and I don't remember which books we brought, so possibly it, Louise, but no, I don't think so, because the way you described that cover sounds very distinctive, and although, although I know she's read it, I don't think she read one with a cover that cool sounding. Oh, well, I wonder who it was. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Awesome. Good job, Andrew. Good review. Thank you. <laughs> Toby, uh, do you have any... I'm curious to see how you're going to do this. Do you have any new Jose Saramago facts? Yes. Well, um, as listeners, as longtime fans will know, we've already covered Jose Saramago once. Um, so I'm just going to give, uh, for anybody joining us now, I'll give the briefest sketch. 
And then we'll go on to an interview that he did specifically about death with interruptions and a little bit about his work in general. Excellent. Um, so, Jose de Souza Saramago, um, born 16th of November 1922. He was a Portuguese writer. Um, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he's incredibly well respected. He won the 1998 Nobel Prize in Literature, um, seen as kind of a titan uh, of letters. Uh, an interesting phrase I've heard to describe him here is critic James Wood praises, quote, the distinctive tone to his fiction because he narrates his novels as if he were someone both wise and ignorant. And having read um, Blindness, I can kind of agree with that. There's just like an inherent wisdom, I think, in his books, but they're also so simply written. Mm -hmm. There's nothing kind of highfalutin about them usually. Yeah. Um, I was searching for interesting little factoids, little um, occurrences in his life, and here's one. So he grew up uh, in an area of Portugal called Azinhaga, um, but he moved away from there to Lisbon when he was young. Um, but his grandparents lived there, and he would go spend the summer sometimes with his grandparents in Azinhaga, which is a more rural part of Portugal. And it says here, uh, when his grandfather suffered a stroke and was to be taken to Lisbon for treatment, Saramago recalled, quote, he went into the yard of his house where there were a few trees, fig trees, olive trees. And he went one by one, embracing the trees and crying, saying goodbye to them because he knew he would not return. To see this, to live this, if that doesn't mark you for the rest of your life, Saramago said, you have no feeling. Aww. Yeah, it's just such a intense and touching scene to imagine this old man like saying goodbye to his trees. Every time I leave on a trip, I make sure I hug every cat. Is that the same? Because you know you'll never see them again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Um, so this is from an, uh, an L.A. Weekly interview. Uh, this is the interviewer asking, uh, Why now make death the main character in a novel? How did you come to this decision? After the presence of death in many of your novels, she is now the star, so to speak. And that's to say that Saramago made plenty of books dealing with heavy themes. Blindness has a lot of death and blindness. A lot, you know, It's a heavy theme in his books. Saramago responds, Well, that's the joke, because none of us likes the idea of dying. The truth is that we all have to die. To continue living, we have to die. That's the story of humanity, generation after generation, that we're going to die. There's nothing dramatic about death except that one loses one's life. In the world, in a planet that has six billion inhabitants, it's just one moment and it's over. What is truly strange is that death should be something sinister or grim, disturbing at least. My novel looks at the humor in that, the irony of it. So I think that reflects, um, I chose this without even knowing that you were going to speak about the humor in the book, Andrew, and it sounds like he did a good job then. Yeah, no, he definitely achieved those goals based on what he's saying. Nice. Um, So the interviewer here asks, someone might wonder why an atheist is always writing about religious subjects, like the life of Jesus, the personification of death, and things that we might call acts of God, like a plague of blindness, or the Iberian Peninsula breaking off from the rest of Europe. Doesn't really phrase it as a question, but uh, Saramago responds... This is the question they always ask me. Why do you write about this? Because it's there. It's present in society. Even though I'm an atheist, I'm a product, from the point of view of morality, of this religion, from Greco-Christian principles. I am writing about something that has, in part, made me the person I am today. It's part of the world. I breathe religion in the air. I think it's interesting because if you will recall our earlier podcast about him, um, one of his most popular books, The Gospel According to Jesus Christ, uh, which got him in very hot water with the 
Portuguese government, the Portuguese church, and church in general around the world, and he actually had to move out of Portugal for the rest of his life and never return because of that book. Did he have to hug every tree? He had to hug every tree. There's actually a memorial in Lisbon to him that is a tree. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, the interviewer says, when death finally comes, what will you say to her? And there's a note here because this interviewer was conducted with a translator. And it says, this question was translated to Saramago as, when do you think death will come definitively? <laughs> so... Not a great translator. I, wow. I don't think the, I don't think any interviewer would want someone to think you asked, "Hey, when do you think you're going to die?" Especially wow. because at this point, Saramago was quite old. At the point of this interviewer, this interview, uh, Saramago responded, "At any moment." <laughs> <laughs> I I hope I have another two years. Oh my god! But a writer's definitive death is when no one reads his books anymore. That's the final death. So he's so. still alive. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he's still alive. According to his own definition of death, Saramago, still alive, haunting all your libraries. You're welcome. You're welcome. This podcast. I just, what translator doesn't know the difference between <laughs> what would you say to death and when are you going to die? I, I will say I read the article that went along with this interview and the guy spent like two paragraphs complaining about his translator before <laughs> this. He said it was very bad. So, And he said that actually the translator was so bad that he had to just throw away the transcript of the interview and go back with the recording he had taken and have like a person he knew who spoke Portuguese translate it again. Well, very good facts, Toby. I'm impressed that you were able to you know, find new things for this time. Good job. Thank you. Well, did you do the facts last time too for blindness or was that Andrew? I did the facts last time. Okay, all right. L- at least you didn't have to do it twice. Yeah. Way to a better job than Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, listeners, sound off. <laughs> listen listen to the two episodes, see which, which facts are better. <laughs> all right, well, uh, Death with Interruptions by Jose Saramago, four stars. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, I had a book to read this week. Bailey, did you have a book to read this I week? I did. It's called The Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling. Who's that? Dylan. This one is also about death. All right, so I I wrote a logline. After a pillar of the community dies suddenly, the citizens of the town of Pagford compete for his seat on the parish council, but the election reveals the darkness hiding beneath the sheen of the idyllic town. Mm. Um, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, thank you. It's essentially about the adults competing for this seat, and they're terrible people in a lot of ways and the kids that get left behind because their parents aren't paying attention to them and in general the question should we get rid of this part of the town that's like public housing and has a lot of people on the dole is that what they say in england yes and it's very um to, to people who yeah to people who are not familiar with the term on the dole it just means living on benefits right i kept thinking of the untitled goose game <laughs> Because we've been playing that game and it's like this idyllic village in, in England, I assume. And there are these people that just do not want their ways changed by this goose. <laughs> so I was picturing Ooh, those that's people. A bit of a reach. So everyone in this book to you is like has no face, but just like a blob, like a potato for a nose. Yes. And okay. all the, uh, one of the characters is the goose that's just ruining everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So here's the thing about this book, you guys. Oh, Bailey's got her fist on her hip. Look at this. <laughs> All right, this book is bleak. That's the word that I would use to describe it. And I am going to be real. I'm going to own up to it. And I think a lot of people will agree. I got this book because I love J.K. Rowling. I love Harry Potter. I mean, 
of course. And obviously, this is not Harry Potter in any which way. Like, if I... Which way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> took me a while. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, man, Dylan. Sometimes I forget what an integral part of the podcast you are. All right. So if, if I didn't know that this was J.K. Rowling, I mean, I would not have known from the way it's written. Nope. Not that it's poorly written, but it just doesn't seem like Harry Potter at all. And I was telling Toby about this before we recorded. It feels like... It feels like... An actress that had been playing like a good girl on a TV show for like 10 years and then wants to completely break away from that and do something completely different. So it's like, I'm not, this is not Harry Potter. So this is an adult book and I'm going to make it so adult that I'm going to use the C word on like page three and it's going to have like everything. It's going to have rape, violence, self-harm, suicide, drugs, addiction, Literally every topic under the sun that is in any way related to adulthood is going to be in this book. And it's kind of like, we get it. Hmm. That's not to say that this book isn't realistic, because I think, I mean, it is realistic in a very glass half empty kind of way. These things (laughs) really do happen. But do they all happen within the span of a few weeks to the same people? I don't know. It's um, so I found it tough to get through this book. I read about the first 150 pages and then I sort of started started to slow down and somebody recommended the audiobook to me and so I listened to it for a while while I was doing my donut puzzle and that helped me a lot. I think I needed one degree of separation from the intensity of what was happening and the darkness of these characters. So I, you know, used my privilege and <laughs> went and listened to it and that helped and then I finished reading it, but I would suggest maybe the audiobook if you're unsure. Yeah, I did not finish this book, and I found the experience very similar to what you described, and I probably stopped reading around where you just described described you had to go on the audiobook. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like the experience is like, it's not a bad book, it's not poorly written, it's like eating a beet like an apple. Yeah. It's like probably good for you, and it's a real thing, it's mm-hmm. describing true circumstances, and it's not poorly written. Man, is it not pleasant. And it and the more you go on, the more not pleasant it gets. The worse and worse. It, I found it bleak. Bleak, bleak, bleak. I just um, want to take a moment and say, if you're a member of the eating a beat like an apple community, please don't <laughs> add us. We have enough controversy already. We know who you are, though, because your face is all red all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because it looks like you've eaten a human body. <laughs> with the red rings around your mouth. Jared, you're fooling nobody. <laughs> Okay, so um, I will say some good things about it. I mean, I like... just imagine somebody who's like, Jared, were you eating? No, of course I wasn't. <laughs> then were you like, drinking blood? Because you're covered <laughs> with beet juice. Okay, so I mean, I will say something positive. T- Toby is right. It is well written. It is a fine book. The characterization is really good. I really particularly liked the sections about the teenagers. I found them to be much more compelling than their awful parents. Um, And I looked forward to when there was a chapter written from their perspective, especially um, there's a character, Crystal Whedon, who I really liked. She's one of the characters who grows up in the fields, which is the public housing area. Um, And a lot of it has to do with like how she's trying to better herself. But all of these circumstances are just bringing her down. So I really liked that. It's not really even about an election, really. Like the election doesn't have that much to do with it. It, It's, it's just, I don't know. I'm going to read you guys a quote just so you can get a (laughs) 
<laughs> Bailey just brought out a plate of steamed beets. Like, I'm just going to have you eat one each. This is just an example. Just so you know, like, should I read this book? Here's an example. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not that it's bad. Okay. Page, page 72. The context is... Uh, this character named Kay, she's a social worker. She's going to visit Crystal Whedon's mother, whose name is um, Terry. And she's just, well, Terry walked out of the room, found her collection of heroin. It's not Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> Page 72. Kay had read the file from cover to cover. She knew that nearly everything of value in Terry Whedon's life had been sucked into the black hole of her addiction, that it had cost her two children, that she barely clung on to two more, that she prostituted herself to pay for heroin, that she had been involved in every sort of petty crime, and that she was currently attempting rehab for the upteenth time. But not to feel, not to care. Right now, Kay thought, she's happier than I am. Yep, that brings me right back into the experience <laughs> of reading this book. Yeah, so this just gives you a sense. So my general review is approach with caution. Yeah. If you're a J.K. Rowling completist, 100% read it. I don't know, intense. So I'm giving it three stars. Hmm. And I don't think I'm going to keep it on my shelf. You know, I'll pass it on. Somebody else will buy it from a book sale. You know what you're going to do? You're going to use this as an, as an excuse to visit that little library, and you're going to get yourself another book. No. And you're coming here with some qualified shame. No, maybe. But yeah, but but three stars, I think, is fair. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just hard to get through. Fair enough. All right, do you have oh, any man, facts? That was a well-selected quote, because I think, I think, honestly, listeners, that typifies the book so well. Yeah. Because it's like, you think this sentence or this paragraph that you're reading is so unpleasant, and you're like, wow, that's grim. And then the last sentence just digs you deeper, triples down on it. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, so I kind of did a similar thing with J.K. Rowling uh, as I did with Jose Saramago, because I feel like a lot of our listeners will know who J.K. Rowling is. They'll know some basic facts about her. Um, so I'm not going to go too deep on her biography. I'm going to instead uh, read from an interview from her about the book as well. Excellent. I'm I'm interested to know more about it. So this is perfect. Um, just the bones of uh, who she is, though. Her name is Joanne Rowling. She has no legal middle name. Do you know that? K doesn't stand for like Kathleen or something? It does. Oh. Did you just guess Kathleen? Yeah. yeah. You just guessed Kathleen? Yeah. Yeah, it's Kathleen. It's oh, okay. her grandmother's name. She just oh. picked it uh, when she d- created the pen name for Harry Potter. Nice. Nice one, though. That's pretty crazy. Um, so anyway, she was born 31st of July, 1965. She shares the Harry same Potter. birthday as Harry Potter, her uh, semi-well-known character that she created. <laughs> semi-well-known. <laughs> Not by Dylan. How dare you. Um, Harry Potter, of course, has become the best-selling book series in history. She also writes crime fiction under the name Robert Galbraith. Have you read any of those, Bailey? Yeah, I like those significantly more than this book. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would say if you if you like J.K. Rowling and you want to check something else out, they're fun. Yeah. They're just like mystery novels. Yep. Um, she was born in Yate, Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire? Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. She was born in Yate, Gloucestershire. Related to this book, um, there was a period of her life where she herself... Um, became separated from her first husband, was living as a single mother, and was living on benefits. So the benefit system and people suffering under it and in those situations are near and dear to her heart. She's been very clear that she cares about people in that situation, about the fact that she thinks the benefit system in England should be preserved. She is the UK's uh, best-selling living author with sales in excess of £238 million. 
2016, so a little bit dated, Sunday Times Rich List estimated Rowling's fortune at 600 million pounds, making her the 197th richest person in the UK. I feel like she would be richer, though, but she's given away a lot she of She's given away so much money. Yeah. It's quite, it's, she's quite awesome. In, related to, in relation to that, in 2010, when she turned 45, the same age as her mother was when her mother died of multiple sclerosis, uh, J.K. Rowling donated 10 million pounds to the University of Edinburgh to found a clinic in her mother's name. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, she also likes to play Minecraft. <laughs> She plays a lot of Minecraft. <laughs> what, a, what a jump, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's, uh, she has said, this is quite an old fact because I think it's around the same time, uh, but her young, she had a son named David. Uh, when he was young, he quite liked to play Minecraft, and she has been quoted as saying she likes to play it in hardcore mode. Uh, <laughs> so this is more specifically from an article. It's an NPR article, interview and article about the casual vacancy specifically. So Rowling um, described the teenagers in her book as simultaneously victims and protagonists. She says, quote, I suppose that the whole plot revolves around the question of what we do with someone like this particular teenage girl from a very deprived family. She is rather disruptive in school. There are just a lot of aspects to her situation that interest me, Rowling says. In some ways, for very personal reasons, because, as is well, very well documented, I too have passed through a period of poverty in Britain, and I can understand some of those issues. So I saw that as kind of insightful as to, you know, she finished Harry Potter. She's allowed to write whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. She could write a book about the moon being made of cheese and they would publish it. Mm -hmm. So I think she really did. I mean, the, I agree with you. There's an aspect to it where it is like, you know, as adult as it can possibly be. But I think maybe she took this opportunity to be like, I'm going to force couple million people to read about this situation and confront it head on people and don't like to think about these issues you that's know? totally fair and yeah. i mean it, it makes a lot of sense and it educated me more about it so yeah yeah i'm feeling bad about <laughs> no it. i shouldn't have made you feel bad about it because i mean honestly i found it to be so much of a slog that i couldn't get through it yeah i mean if the subject interests you if you're interested in social justice you'll probably love it i mean there are people that though? love there because, are people that your wife loves this book. But if you're interested in social justice, it's also an examination of how the system fails people. But That's won't that thing. galvanize you to like make change? That's true. But okay. If you have really thick skin and you are optimistic and happy person, no matter what, go ahead and read this book. Yeah. But it's there. Are, I think there are other books you could read if you're interested in social justice that, that will describe things in as realistic of terms, but won't like just beat you in the head with a hammer of how awful everything is. That's fair. I just want to make you feel better, Bailey. I agree with your review, okay. 100%. Thank you. All right. All right. Good facts. Thank you. Great job. Good facts, Toby. Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. I do have a game for us all here. Um, mm. So this week, the game is called Spoilers with Interruptions. Ooh. So let me just say here and now, I'm against spoilers. I don't like when anyone tells me anything about anything. Even if I don't even think I'm going to read the book, I want to have the option open. So that said, mm -hmm. if you haven't finished the Harry Potter series, either in film or book original OG form, this game might not be for you. Dylan. Dylan. He has seen the movies. <laughs> he knows vaguely what goes on. Totally. I always know what's going on. So the way this game is going to work is I am going to use words one at a time to describe a character from Harry Potter who dies in the book. Hence oh. the death of the interruptions part. Okay. So here are the rules. I'm only going to say one word at a time. At okay. any point, either of you can interrupt by saying the name of the character you think it is. 
Okay. Hence the interruptions. But. Gotcha. But you do not get more than one guess. So you have to wait until you have enough information here. death. (laughs) If you answer and you are wrong, you lose any hope of getting the point. So make sure you have enough information to make your guess. Got it. Got it. Thank you for the phrasing. You lose any hope. (laughs) I'm ready. Wizard. <laughs> okay. Relative. Serious black. Interesting, Toby. It could is have it right? been quite literally. Well, it could have been one of two people. But you're correct. It is serious black. <laughs> I was about to say dog and <laughs> wait yeah. for you both to yell. So it's one point for Toby. Yeah. Ooh, risky I, I, move. Yeah, I figured I'd just go for it because it's like, yeah, you might as well risk it all. All right. <laughs> this is number two. Friend. Redhead. Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley. Toby doesn't die. cannot oh. continue guessing. Yeah, he doesn't die. Does uh, he die for a moment? Fre- no. Fred Weasley. All right, oh, Bailey, you got it. Why would you? Oh, okay. Lucky. What do you mean? I thought maybe if it was me, I'd just let him say the rest of the clues just to make sure. Oh, well. I, well yeah, I mean, I, I would, that was I would a bold not do move. That. You guys have both risk takers in this game so far. I have no fear. All Molly right. Weasley. <laughs> Molly Weasley also doesn't die. Yeah. Um, here's number three. Oh, it's first to four, by the way. First to four. Oh, okay. 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 Professor. Wizard. Dumbledore. <laughs> Bailey is not allowed to continue guessing. <gasps> yeah. No way. He's I, gonna I, make. He's gonna make this one harder. I, I was risking. I was yeah. risking. Wolf. Ugh. Oh. Does he die? Oh my gosh. He's my favorite character. Is it Lupin? Does he die? Yes, yes. he does. I was oh, cool. okay. teetering on giving you another more obvious clue. <laughs> I should have just let you do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, pretty, that's as obvious as it could be. Nice. Wait, what? Lupin dies? Both Tonks and Lupin die. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It's, it's been <laughs> a long time since I finished the series, so some of these later ones are going to be hard for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the ones that happen at the end of the last book are kind of just thrown in in a list. Yeah. So it's yeah. really exactly. easy to miss a few. Yeah. yeah. All right, you ready for number four? Yes. Yes. Toby is leading two to one, by the way. That's Mm. right. Professor. Defense against the dark arts. Turban. Quirrell. I think Toby started that first, and Toby is corrected as Professor Quirrell. Yeah, Quirrell. That's a weird way to say it, but okay. Professor Quirrell. Quirrell. Steve Quirrell. (laughs) (laughs) all right toby is leading three to one he can win by getting this one correct yes Mm. just like voldemort avada kedavra (laughs) (laughs) auror witch hair tonks that's right toby you are the winner Toby, I have a real question. Nymphadora Tonks. If I hadn't just said that Tonks also dies, would you have remembered that? It was certainly wouldn't have been on the top of my mind. Mm. You fool. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give extra information. (laughs) All right. Good game, Andrew. That's a very good game. We'll just say that definitively this means I know more about Harry Potter than Bailey does. Forever. Mm. Let's never play another Harry Potter game again. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right. So we're about to do the choosing. I'm so excited. Where Andrew's going to get a book chosen at random. Before that, I want to just announce what my book is because we didn't do the choosing for my book. 
because we're allowed to cheat because we make the rules. The next episode is going to come out on October 30th, which is the day before Halloween. And so we wanted to do a scary book, a horror book. Um, So I put a few different choices on Instagram and I asked our followers to vote. And the votes are in and the winning book is Dracula by Bram Stoker. Number 30. Number 30. So... I'm going to be reading the that next week. The scariest number of all. Ooh. It's like, like a bat over a pumpkin. 30? You're going to be reading oh number 30 God. on October like 30th. Ooh, number 30 on October 30th. It does look like a bat over a pumpkin. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no um, support on this podcast. <laughs> Dracula by Bram Stoker for me. And what will Andrew have? Andrew will have number 26, The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. spooky spooky and scary (laughs) all right i'm i I know a little bit about this book obviously because it was such a cultural touchstone for a minute i think it'll be quick i'm excited to find out subtle burn against john green there hey john green if you're listening we both support the same soccer team so i won't say anything to hurt you i promise i love john green john green's one of my favorite authors i just want to say just for our listeners, that I read this book and I read it before the movie came out and I was trying to get Dylan to read it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to read it. No, I'm not going to read it. And then on the way to go see the movie, he was like, hey, so how do you think Augustus will handle da da da? And I was like, what? And he's like, that's right. I read it. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, that's love, guys. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Um, I just feel bad that was our anniversary gift. <laughs> <laughs> I read that book you want. I read that book you want. Look at that out. Uh, that's I like that joke. Um, uh, I've never read a, a John Green. Um, I hear they're good. I don't think that Maybe you would I'll, like them. What? Maybe I think I, I was just gonna say yeah, I might try like to read them. Oh, okay. Might try to read this one because it's. Would you typify it as a quick read? Super quick read. Yeah. Yeah. You could listen to it on Audible. Yeah. No, I, honestly, because you said that, I'm gonna read it despite you. Oh wow! All right. I'm gonna like it despite you. I'm just saying you tend to not like YA. How dare you? I like The Serpent King a lot. Okay, that's one book. And I liked The True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. Name one more that you liked. Harry Potter. (laughs) Harry Potter. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. With the assist. So next week on the podcast will be our mini-sode. This one's also going to be Halloween-themed. We read a few classic horror stories. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to make up our own scary story. So tune in for that. Um, And then in two weeks, on October 30th, will be our Halloween episode. Toby's reading The Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker, and I'm reading Dracula by Bram Stoker. Thanks for listening to The To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Twitter at to read list pod. Sadie. I like Sadie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please go ahead and rate us five stars on whatever rating uh, app you use. It really helps us uh, increase the visibility of the podcast. Uh, rate us five stars like I rated Sadie five stars, a YA book that I really enjoyed. Also, if you like what you hear, Please tell a friend or a family member or anyone that you know that might enjoy this. Word of mouth is really the best way for people to figure out what's going on. And if you're afraid of talking to people, you can just whisper it into a tree stump. And the next person who rests their weary bones by sitting on that tree stump will know. Mm. You guys have interesting things today. All right. Thanks to... Hey, you try and come up with a creative way to say rate it five stars and tell your friends every time. (laughs) 
Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.